Welcome to the August 2023 episode of Chattering with ISFM. I'm Dr. Natalie Dalgray, Head of ISFM and host of this month's podcast. First up this month, I'm going to be speaking with ISFM's own Dr. Sam Taylor. She's the presenting author of the Scientific Committee Best Abstract Award from our 2023 Congress. We're going to be discussing her abstract, which is on the outcome of 307 cats treated for FIP, and that was with a combination of Rendesivir and or GS441524. Yeah, we're also going to be featuring our monthly JFMS Clinical Spotlight interview. And this month, this is with Dr. Kelly St. Denis talking with Dr. Maria Sotara Rivera about feline chronic gingivostomatitis. We hope you enjoy this episode. So just to start with Sam, I was I was really interested to know what prompted you to start gathering cases for this study. We have been running our FIP advice email service and we set that up because we knew that people would have questions about these novel drugs. And we also ourselves wanted to learn and connect with people around the world who were using the drugs. And from that, we worked out that there were some of the same queries and some different queries and we thought, can we bring this all together to tell more people about this collective experience if we could show that they worked and that they were safe and we could educate people a little bit more on what to look for adverse effect wise. And then hopefully as a consequence, get these quality kind of products where we know what's in them to more people around the world. When you were starting this process and this group of you were starting the plans, how did you agree the inclusion criteria, especially for the diagnosis of FIP? Yeah, and I think that was really challenging. One of the particularly challenging things about a retrospective like this is the variable sort of levels of investigation that are done. And we had, it's another thing that I kind of like about the study, but was also challenging. We had cases treated in referral that had MRI, CSF, PCR, you know, really extensive investigation. And then we had cats that were, you know, quite understandably and pragmatically treated based on the likelihood of diagnosis. And so we thought, how are we going to handle that? And so what I did is I reviewed all the cases and we categorized them according to basically something that the ABCD use. And so we start off with these sort of categories of being confirmed, highly suspicious and very likely. And we thought that might be a good way of looking at the cases so that we could still include those pragmatically treated cases that didn't have every bit of data. And the other reason we wanted to include all those cases, because I wanted it to be real. And if we just include those cases that have had thousands of pounds of referral workup, that's not real. That's not relevant to the person who is working in primary care. And so we really wanted to have those cats included. And I hope we've managed to do it in that way. Brilliant. Now, that's a really clever way of doing it. And you managed to include 307 cases. That's a fantastic number. How many did you have to exclude? Well, not too many is the answer. So things that we excluded, we're very clear we wanted to exclude cats that have been treated with black market products for part of their treatment, which in some countries and particularly in the early treated cases, very understandable that some of them had some treatment in that way. But that would mean we couldn't interpret the results and the effect of the treatments that we wanted to study. So we excluded those cats. And then we also excluded cats where when I followed their history or when the vets submitted their history, we didn't have enough information on how they'd responded and we couldn't provide that level of detail. We actually only excluded about 11 cases in the end. Brilliant. In general, 
higher doses give you better responses. But the other thing I really learned from the study, which probably is true of all cats, is there's a huge amount of variation. So what really surprised me was that some cats that were treated with lower doses that were very sick actually responded very well. And then you've got other cats that were treated with higher doses that didn't do as well. Although we will give dosage advice, that should be adapted to the individual depending on their response. We weren't seeing adverse effects with those higher doses. So the drugs do seem to be very well tolerated, but lots of individual variation. I never thought we'd be here where we're talking about 84% response to a treatment when you have FIP in the same sentence. So I'm hoping, you know, that in another five years, we'll have really individualized treatment. We'll have other drugs. We'll do combination. I think it's, you know, super exciting where we're going to go with this. The full paper from this abstract has now been accepted for publication. So do watch out for that in JFMS. And now I'm going to be handing over to Dr. Kelly St-Denis to talk with Dr. Maria Sultana Riviera on her JFMS Clinical Spotlight article, Feline Chronic Gingivostomatitis, Current Concepts in the Clinical Management. Don't forget, JFMS is an open access journal now, so the link to read that full article is in the show notes. Welcome, Dr. Soltero Rivera. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you for having me. So some of your focus on your research, obviously, has been within the feline dentistry aspect and, and obviously FCGS. In addition to just diagnosing dental disease in general, like feeling chronic gingival stomatitis is something that some clinicians struggle with because as we've learned through the review article, one of the main treatments is surgical extraction. There's always some hesitancy there. So are there any tips that you could give to clinicians that would say help them to feel more confident in that diagnosis on observation and moving forward with dental that you could share? Yeah, absolutely. It's a disease that has been for some time recognized grossly and it hasn't been recognized in more objective ways. What I mean by that is we've relied on people looking at the oral cavity and saying, yeah or nay, it has stomatitis. But I think we have to remember that there are some objective ways to characterize the disease that we haven't been as reliant on in the past that I hope that we can bring into light with this review. This is a disease that affects different areas of the oral mucosa. The buccal mucosa is affected, the alveolar mucosa is affected. And you need to have all of those affected, not just one or the Mm -hmm. other. I think all of those need to be affected. Where is the inflammation centered? Usually in the back of the oral cavity, lateral to the palatoglossal arches. And then you dive in and you say, all right, what is here microscopically? You want to find lymphoplasmacytic inflammation, We're currently working on this theory that if you see other cell types in there, like eosinophils, things can be a little bit different and we could be dealing with a different subtype of this disease. So I think characterizing the histopathology is important to confirm your suspicion um, and to see if there's anything that could modify the disease or the prognosis for these cats. And then figuring out, hey, how are we doing in terms of viral status, right? So is FELV, FIV involved, FCV involved? And whenever possible, once it becomes a commercial test, is fomivirus involved? Because all of these have been known to modify the disease, if you will. And certainly the response to treatment can be affected by these factors. It's not only the oral cavity that's affected, there are multiple systems affected. And that's what we're trying to pull apart as we continue to study this disease. Did you want to tell us a little bit about how someone decides between partial versus full mouth extraction? Yeah. In general, when 
when you do your oral evaluation, again, going back to where is the inflammation localized and extending to. In our practice, when the inflammation extends all, all the way rostrally to affect the incisors and the canines, we yeah. recommend full mouth extractions. Mm-hmm. It's when those incisors and canine teeth look a little bit less affected or less affected altogether. Sometimes you have those that have the inflammation just confined to the back of the mouth that yeah. you start thinking, should I try to preserve teeth? And it's not wrong to say, take a staged approach, but the conversation with the client should be very clear in that this may not be curative. When we look at those studies that we did comparing partial versus full mouth extractions, we didn't necessarily see a significant difference in response between the two treatments. That said, we were treating with partial mouth extractions, so the patients that didn't have that rostral involvement. Yeah, right. Yeah. So whether we're treating the a different degree of severity, a different manifestation or subtype of the disease, yeah, or treating other diseases that were confusing with FCGS. That's a good question. I think that, again, it's not wrong to start with partial mouth extractions if the inflammation is only confined to the caudal oral cavity. It's just the way that we present it to the clients saying, this is, you and I are going steady here now that we're (laughs) treating this patient. This is not a one and done. (laughs) This is not a one and done. And we're going to have to monitor them closely. And if we have to come back to extract the rest of the teeth, we will, we will do that. Excellent. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed chatting with you and I hope everyone has the opportunity to check out the current concepts in the clinical management of feline chronic gingival stomatitis. Thank you, Dr. Maria Saltero Rivera. And thank you to your colleagues as well for this great review article. And as I've said, there's a lot of really practical information in that review article that you can use in practice and some charts and guidance that I think we all could use on a day-to-day basis. So definitely check it out and it is open access. So have a look. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you're an ISFM veterinary member, don't forget you can access the full version of this podcast and all the other ISFM veterinary membership benefits, including Congress recordings, monthly webinars, our clinical club, the discussion forum, and much, much more through portal.icatcare.org. We'll be back again next month. If you don't want to miss out, do make sure you've signed up to Chattering with ISFM on your preferred podcast platform.